Hello and welcome to another episode of the Renactors Corner. In this episode, we'll be talking to a member of one of America's oldest and most successful reenactment groups and finding out how this special bond they formed with World War II German veterans has helped to shape their impression. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again with Lassa. How are you doing today, Lassa? Well, there's a new heat wave here, so I'm actually doing terrible. I'm sweating like a pig, but it's fine. I got a weekend this week. I got an event this weekend. That's very exciting. I'm glad to hear that. Here where I live last week, we broke the uh, the daily record for the hottest temperature. Not like the all-time hottest temperature, but the hottest temperature for that day of the year. And then later in the um, week, we ro- broke the record for the lowest temperature for that day of the year. <laughs> Up and down. It has been, yeah, it was like, uh, there was like a 45 degree difference, you know, Fahrenheit from one day to the next, so. Now that is something. Uh, but I am pleased to say I'm going to have a great day today. Some guy on Facebook was giving away 11 free typewriters, so I'm going to go drive two hours and pick those up today. <laughs> Are you kidding <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm dying. Oh my god! So uh, you have enough. I am. Well, you know, uh, it's going to be a bad situation. I'm a little worried that uh, the f- building might collapse uh, just from the sheer weight of the typewriters. I'm going to go pick up another 400 pounds of typewriters today. <laughs> but got to have 50 typewriters. So uh, anyway. I am pleased today to announce that we have a special guest on the program who I'm excited to talk to. His name is Will Reynolds. He's a longtime reenactor with the Seventh Company Grossdeutschland Group here on the East Coast of the United States. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that we're going to talk about. So, Will, uh, thanks for coming on. Happy to have you on the program. Hey, thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to having a little chat. So I guess just for the start, why don't you just kind of... Um, sort of introduce yourself and maybe uh, talk a little bit about what, what you do for World War II reenacting and, and how you got interested in it and how you got started doing it. Yeah, sure. Um, I'd be happy to. Uh, I live in New York here in the United States. Uh, not the city, but way on the, the west side there, close to Lake Erie. Um, but I, uh, I've always been really passionate about history, but uh, I've been doing reenacting for about 15 years. Uh, Ten of those years was uh, with Close Deutschland, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, but prior to that, I had done American Civil War, and I kind of got really interested in World War II history uh, because my grandfather actually served in Germany and used to tell me these wonderful stories about how he was shot by a German sniper in the leg and he'd show me the scars and I was like man who are these guys that shot my grandpa I want to learn as much as I can about them Um, and so I started learning about uh, German military history uh, specifically in the 30s and 40s and uh, that was when I realized that uh, hey grandpa you were you were in Germany after the war and it turns out that he'd been training guys how to shoot the 30 cal uh, Browning machine gun, backfired, shrapnel on his leg. So uh, my whole reenacting and love for German military history is based off a lie from my grandfather. Um, but that's kind of how I got into it. And I started looking around on various websites and uh, came across Kroos uh, Deutschland. And I knew immediately that that was going to be the unit for me. So um, as I said, I'll be doing it for almost 10 years now, and uh, it's just been a, a great part of my life, and I'm always excited to share share that passion with other people, and so here I am today. Now, the group that you're in, that uh, 7th Company Gross Deutschland, is, is a really long-standing reenactment group, right? Uh, formed, I think, in 1975 or something like that? Yeah, correct. We actually um, are going to be celebrating our uh, 46th year of existence, uh, which is really uh, almost unfathomable in this, in this hobby that we do. You know, you always have people squabbling about, oh, I want to be the commander. Or, I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that. And, um, 
46 years for a reenactment group. That's got to be some kind of record, right? Uh, I probably could do a whole episode about why why I think it is that we've lasted this long. Um, But, uh, yeah, we've been around for a long time and hopefully for uh, many, many years to come. I think I remember seeing the uh, 7th uh, Großdeutschland unit in... um at Gap in 2018, and I was impressed with uh, how you guys did it. GD at the Gap was always an awesome thing to see, and, uh, you know, it's really too bad that we lost that event because it gave us some really cool opportunities. And uh, when I started doing that event in 2000, like the, the GD barracks impression and display was super impressive to me and, you know, still inspires me on some level even today. You know, you guys always do a great job. It's always a pleasure. When I find out that you guys are going to be at an event that I'm going to, uh, that's that always puts a smile on my face. Well, you know, likewise. Anytime we take the field, it's a good day, and I'm sure a lot of our members could say the same about uh, seeing your name on the event list as well. <laughs> Feeling is mutual, Chris. Thanks. So we're going to talk today about, you know, the, uh, the experiences of your group uh, meeting World War II veterans and kind of participating in... Uh, German veteran reunions in Germany. Mm-hmm. How did that get started? Um, so I would be remiss without mentioning uh, one of our founders, Bob Lawrence's name. He's been doing this since the, you know, the very beginning. And, uh, you know, there's so many people throughout GD's, you know, long history who could bring up names. But if you didn't say Bob Lawrence, then it uh, something wouldn't be right. And basically, um, he kind of got the ball rolling in terms of us getting over there uh and it wasn't the easiest road at first uh you know bob had been talking to a german world war ii uh reenacting dealer in 1997 and uh he was told uh that you know he had attended a few uh treffens in german which is like the meeting um for the gross deutschland uh veterans association and so bob was like hey that's fascinating you know we that's kind of what we do for living history how how can we get over there um and so uh unfortunately it kind of turned out that the guy didn't really want him to go just because he was afraid that he might be uh you know buying gross deutschland items off of uh, out from a hundred him and so he'd said you know well you don't speak the language you you know you 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 probably wouldn't want to go over there uh which unfortunately wasn't true. Many of our guys did speak German, but that, that's kind of how it got got up and running. And Bob actually had the opportunity um, when the book "God Honor Fatherland" came out. Uh, we bought fifty copies for the unit, and so Bob reached out to uh, Remy Spazzo of the RZM company in, in Connecticut, um, and said, "Hey, you know, we bought fifty of these books. We're really interested in getting over there to talk to some of these veterans, uh, just because Remy had spoken with a lot of them." And uh, so Remy said he would look into it. And a little while later, uh, Bob actually got a call from a veteran uh, of Großdeutschland who lived in Vermont, of of all places. Uh, And his name was uh, Helmut Ortlip. And um, he actually was an MG man in the Panzerwegemann Großdeutschland. And so Helmut had said, uh, hey, you know, I hear you're interested in coming to this Treffen over in Germany and would like to meet us. And uh, his first question was, so what do you think of this Hitler guy? And, uh, you know, Bob really without thinking, you know, just said, well, he was nuts. You know, he cost and took and destroyed too many lives. And Helmut sort of just said, good, you know, that that was the right answer. I think that there was kind of this stigma, like, wait, there's these Americans that want to come to Germany to meet us. You know, they were afraid that maybe there was some ulterior motive beyond, uh, you know, meeting veterans and learning learning more about the, the history uh, and kind of what they did. So that, that kind of pleased uh, Helmut. And, uh, you know, he said, well, I'll talk to the heads of the GD Treffen in Germany and see what we can do about getting you invited over. Um so fortunately for us, in 1999, they invited us to come over, and we we headed off as a unit over to uh, Germany. There was about 19 guys in the beginning uh, that headed over. Um, and that's kind of like the first phase of our journey over there. You know, I can't imagine what it must have been like to go to Germany in the late 90s when so many World War II veterans were still alive. And uh, have the opportunity to meet and talk to those people at a veterans reunion must have been uh, absolutely incredible for those guys. 
I remember, you know, in the early 2000s, how big of a deal it was that GD, that your GD unit was able to go to these veteran meetings. You know, it was like everybody in the hobby, everybody in the World War II reenacting hobby knew about it and talked about it and was jealous about it. And even uh, the unit that I was in at the time, we tried to make some contact with some veterans of units uh, that we portray. Um, but they weren't, they really weren't like receptive for the most part to talking to reenactors. I think they kind of took a dim view of it or, or to be more specific, there was like one guy in particular that I was able to make contact with. And, you know, I think, um, I think probably I could have handled it better. You know, I was sort of naive at the time, you know, so maybe there was like a, a two way street. I mean, uh, Bob Lawrence, the old, uh, the former, GD commander from that time. He's like a hero to me. You know, I'm sure he did a great, uh, I'm sure he knew exactly how to navigate what was a very difficult situation. Um, but what about you? Did you, uh, when did you, did you ever get a chance to go to these uh, meetings yourself? Yeah, actually, um, I, I did. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really quite the opportunity because, you know, you see a lot of units, uh, especially larger units say like, oh, you know, you should join us because, uh, you know, we have, we have a, a troop truck or we have a Stug or, you know, we're, we're looking into buying, you know, a, a, a Panzer three or a replica, you know, and so there's all these things that kind of are enticing. And, uh, one of the things that really stands out about, you know, GD is being able to say like, Hey, you know, we have a lot of firsthand accounts and had the ability to actually go to some of these, uh, Treffins and like really form some real bonds with these guys and be able to call them, you know, our camera, camarade or our brothers. And, um, I was, I was actually fortunate enough to go, uh, twice. Uh, the first time was in, uh, 2011. And, uh, you know, Bob has this famous saying, you know, in terms of like herding cats, because when they first went over, uh, in 1999, uh, there was 19 guys from GD that went. And, uh, you know, you talk about trying to assimilate yourself. It, it really was a highlight for me being able to say I've been over there and like talk to these guys and learn from them and created those those bonds and, and friendships with them. How often did these meetings take place? Was it like annually? Yeah, so it happened uh, once once a year. Uh, they would do it, and I believe the first one took place in 1951. I think uh, so. You know, so a couple of years after the war. But yeah, they usually would happen happen once a year, and. They've been going strong up until recently. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Father Time catches up with all of us. You know, when it first started, there was over 233 veterans at the uh, Treffen in 1999 when uh, when we first went over. And when I went there in 2011, there was only 13. And I know that uh, the last couple of years, only one has been able to physically attend, you know, kind of be there in presence. So um, it's kind of sad to see these guys dwindle dwindle away uh the last two years has been extremely difficult just because i had four close friends uh who i'll talk about here later uh pass away so it's kind of it's kind of bittersweet definitely appreciate the the time uh spent with them the knowledge gained and the friendships made but um you know there's also that that moment where uh you know they they pass on so that's really uh kind of sobering you know it's it's shocking how fast that generation is slipping away from us you know where world war ii now is kind of on the outer edge of human memory um but i mean to look at those numbers 233 veterans at the meeting in 1999 13 mm -hmm. in 2011 and one person now maybe physically able to attend i mean that's uh that's really remarkable yeah yeah i think you know you hit the nail on the head it's very, very sobering for sure I used to uh, be in contact with some World War II veterans, and there were a number of uh, World War II German veterans that I was able to spend a lot of time with. But as of, I think, last year, uh, all those people have passed on now. Hmm. So your group is in, in a lucky position of being able to speak to lots of those veterans over the years. Uh, what was their reaction? Uh, did they like know about reenactment? And what did they think about, uh, you know, gd in the usa yeah um you know as i said it was it was kind of interesting because in german there's no real word uh for reenacting you know they always said that the closest thing was uh lieben gesiegte Gruppe, you know a living history group 
Um, and as I said, like when we first got there, it started a little tumultuous and a little rocky and they kind of weren't sure, um, you know, what, what to expect of us. Um, but Bob, as I said, had them go upstairs, change, get ready. They came down, uh, started meeting some of the veterans and started talking. And, uh, I know we were very fortunate because we actually had Major, uh, Heinrich, uh, Gubner. Um, they call him Head Gubner. Uh, he was in the third battalion, uh, Panzerlegament Kloss Deutschland. Um, and he was assigned kind of as a liaison officer for, for us here, GD USA, meeting the actual Gross Deutschland veterans. And, um, you know, he spoke excellent English. He loved the history. And, uh, you know, from the get go, it was like a, a great relationship was formed, uh, with, with him. And, uh, you know, so it kind of started off a little awkward, and then there was the opportunity, uh, you know, at, when you go to the Treffen, you get there, you show up at the hotel, um, they usually take you to the uh, Panza Museum there in Munster, which is just, if you ever have the opportunity to get there, I suggest it, just so many armored vehicles, a lot of history, a lot of objects to be seen, Um so usually we'll go there, uh, some of the veterans will walk through it with you and kind of share their stories and you get to see all the armor. And then you go back, uh, to the hotel for cocktails or dinner. And then, uh, the Bundeswehr actually put, they used to put on a, a large dinner. So the Ghost Ocean veterans would come and they would have speeches and everything. And, um, you know, it's, that, that's always very special. Uh, but one of the coolest things is just being at the hotel and kind of, intermingling with these men and sharing some drinks and the stories. And, um, I know that, uh, when I was there, but as well as it seemed like every single year, if a new ghost Deutschland member would show up, the same thing would sort of happen would be that, uh, you know, we'd take out some of our pictures from our events and we'd be sharing them with the veterans and, you know, they would say, Oh, I, I don't remember who this was, or this guy, I don't remember seeing him in our, in our company or, what have you. And then we would say, Oh no, no, like th that's us, you know, that that's us reenacting. Like this is recent. And, uh, you know, Bob shared a, a great story about, um, you know, one of the veterans was going through looking at the book and he said, where was this picture taken? And, uh, you know, Bob said, Oh, it's in Baltimore. And the veteran kind of looked at him and said, Oh, okay. All right. And kind of stared off for a bit and then said, uh, you know, where, where in Russia is Baltimore? <laughs> and um great. he said no no it's baltimore maryland like this is us and then from that moment on he goes wow that's amazing that this is now you know you, you look just how we looked like uh, so many of these images and um so that was always great being able to show kind of what it was that we do and how how we really uh try to emulate what it was that they did and how they would have dressed and the authenticity um but um yeah, no, it just was exciting to be able to share that ex that experience with them. And, That's such uh, a great affirmation, you know, that to have a World War II veteran of the unit that you portray look at pictures of your reenactment and think that it is real. Yes, um, indeed. And I think that, unfortunately, in reenacting sometimes, it seems like there's not a lot of, like, institutional memory because there's kind of a lot of turnover in reenacting over time, you know, and uh, I think a lot of people might be surprised what a high level of realism uh, your GD group had achieved in the 1990s, even, you know, a time mm -hmm. that I think a lot of people think that reenactment maybe was less uh, realistic then. But in reality, uh, it was I think it was it was really realistic. Uh, yeah, and it, we actually had an older German woman. Uh, you know, I believe this was at the Reading Air Show. She had come up and said, you know, oh, my goodness, you guys look exactly how the soldiers looked when I was a little girl. You know, you, uh, you know, right down to, you know, the last detail, you look like you could step back in time. Uh, you know, the thing was, she said, the only thing is like you are not singing enough. You know, this German soldier was always singing. And so ever since then, we've always endeavored to. You know, how many Marsh Leader can we learn? Like, how many uh, Volk songs can we sing? So, you know, th that was kind of the good thing. So it's even though we, we enjoy that authenticity and we're always looking to push ourselves a little bit more. So um, if you hear singing, GD's probably pretty close by. <laughs> the singing but, that you guys do is super inspirational to me and has always been like an aspirational thing, you know, to try to be able to uh, 
to have my group sing as many songs as, as you guys can sing. And uh, we've had some opportunities in the past to uh, sing together. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, those are all like reenacting highlights for me, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, did- we we don't sing well, but we, we enjoy doing it. And I always try to encourage, you know, people from any unit that, you know, you have one or two guys singing. It might not sound the best, but when you get, you know, 10 guys singing, it sounds phenomenal. And uh, one of my fondest memories is actually being at Odessa, singing around a campfire and having, you know, some of you, you, you come up and a couple other people. And it just it just brings people together, you know, and really heightens the, the realism of it. And I think yeah, that I remember that was super fun. Oh yeah, you know it. It just brings everyone together, and I think that that's also one of the things you know, kind of going back to the Treffen here is um, that during the Saturday night evening uh, meal, there 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 still was like a little bit of unsureness, like what are these guys doing here? Like our table was way in the back, and uh, you know we kind of were almost an afterthought. Um, and then uh, Bob had looked at uh, John Elf, uh, who is our house um, builder for the unit, a longtime member, and said, hey, you know, let's let's uh, let's kind of break it up here and start singing a song. Um, and so they sang I'd close it just because everyone was drinking. Um, but then John started belting out uh, Vestival lead and the veterans kind of like all turned and looked at this table in the back and were like, wow, these guys are they're singing festival lead. And so, uh, you know, the whole hall erupted in song and everyone was singing. And then from that moment on, you know, there was groups of veterans by the dozens, like coming back to check out these, these American visitors in the back and start asking questions. And, um, you know, so that kind of really helped, helped break the ice. And, you know, uh, another point to breaking the ice is Bob actually had the 19 guys bring their Kokashir and their, uh, uh, for the meal. And so, you know, Bob had all the veterans go up and they ate all their food first. And then they went up with their Kokashir and, and, uh, Esbistek. And the, the cook for the army cook had like a massive grin on his face and he was ladling all the soup into the Kokashir. And then, uh, you know, all the vets would come by and say, you know, this food really tastes way better in your Kokashir. And they were kind of jealous, but they were really impressed that, you know, here's these American people who are, you know, for whatever reason, trying to trying to reenact or emulate what it was that they went through in their sacrifice, and uh, you know they're trying to do it right, and uh, so that I thought that was a pretty cool cool icebreaker on our behalf. I love that. Um, what were some songs that those guys like to sing? Oh boy, oh man! It, you know it's funny because they these for these gentlemen who are in their mid to late eighties and you know throughout the years just aging each and every single year, it was like they hadn't forgotten a single one. Um, you know when I went in twenty eleven for my first time, I can remember thinking like, oh, you know I'm a young twenty something year old. We'll hang out at the have a couple of drinks, learn a lot. Uh, you know, but these these uh, soldaten. These veterans, they would sing and drink you under the table until the wee hours of the night. Like, I remember I actually had to go to bed because I was exhausted, and some of these veterans were still up singing. Um, but, you know, I'm Hella und I'm Botsen, um, uh, Morgan, Mashiu, and Veer. It's, it was almost like if you started singing something, they knew it. It, it really, truly was unbelievable. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, it was kind of, I had to giggle a little bit because, you know, the veterans would say, you know, why didn't you show up 20 years ago? You know, when we were younger, we could have showed you, you know, so much more, and yet they were out drinking and, and out staying up all of us. <laughs> um, so, you know, what what were some of the things that they told you about? I mean, uh, what what did you learn from them? Oh, boy, it's, it's, um, it's, it's almost endless the amount of information that we've gleaned from them and then like i said earlier it's really it's really been an honor because now we can impart that down into other people and um you know there actually was a member of the Gostdeutschland um you know veteran association who he actually was an ausbilder uh you know during the wartime so he was training these guys you know teaching them things so he was able to teach our ausbilder a lot of stuff so it's great to be able to say like you know, you can read things in books, but to be able to hear it straight from the guy's mouth, it was really just impressive. Um, so I've, I've got a couple of things here that I can I can walk through. And um, 
there was a lot of great personal stories that have helped us in terms of our authenticity and learning to do things differently. Um, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Major Head Gebner had said, you know, everyone should wear something a little bit different. So you see a lot of pictures or, you know, guys are like, well, if everyone's going to wear their their uh, Zeltbahn out in the field, then like everyone should do it. Or if everyone's wearing camo smocks and everyone should have camo smocks. And, uh, you know, there's some truth to that with, uh, you know, camo usually obviously far and few. It's kind of, you know, it's not the norm, but when it was issued, you know, generally it was given out in mass. But uh, Head Gebner would always say, everyone wears something just slightly different so that when you're out in the field in the chaos of battle or if it's, you know, getting close to nighttime, you could kind of be like, okay, well, I know that's Otto because he's wearing this or, you know, uh, that's Heinrich because this is slightly askew. So I can kind of make that out. Um, so that that was definitely an interesting thing. You know, he always said, you know, put on, you know, you we see our reenactors like putting on cork or schmutz or dirtying up before we go out. Um, you know, so he always preached that, like, make, make sure you've, you're dirtied up a little bit. Um, but he also told a great anecdote about the Ost medal, which is kind of, kind of gone around a time or two by, you know, saying like the red was the, uh, the, the Russian army, the white was the snow and the black, you know, was the German army kind of sandwiched in the middle. Um, but he also said something about Spatens, which always kind of stood out to me, you know, the entrenching tool was, you know, some people say like, oh, I don't want to wear it. It's not comfortable or, well, I, you know, I'm in this situation, but I actually have one. And he kind of just said, well, when you're facing the Russian artillery, everyone carried a Spaten. So I have a tendency sure. to, to always carry it with me. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really great to be able to take a detail that, uh, you know, a veteran expressed and uh, incorporate that into your impression, you know. I always carry my mess kit for the same reason. A veteran mm-hmm. told me that that was the one thing that the infantrymen always had to have no matter what because you never know when you're going to find something to put in it, he said. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's exactly what it's about. And being able to learn that from those veterans is great. And uh, I know that one of the things that we really try to do, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Willi Stahl, he was, I believe, a pioneer in Kostoichland. Uh, Really brave guy. He actually earned two tank destruction badges, Iron Cross, first class. Um, uh, he actually said that, you know, socks socks were nice, but if you really wanted to be comfortable, you should wear the, the Fuschlappen. Um, Chris, I don't know, or Chris or Laza, I don't know if you've worn Fuschlappen to any events, but it's like almost putting a pillow around your foot. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love wearing those. I uh, I almost never wear socks, um, and in fact, I keep a pair of fuslapen in my car all the time because uh, sometimes when I'm out doing stuff on hikes or whatever, if my boots get wet, mm-hmm. um, I can go back to the car and put on the fuslapen and put my boots back on, and it's just so comfortable. And it's like the these things somehow uh, absorb water without making your feet wet. It's the, yeah, they're it's an awesome uh, piece of technology for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know it really is. And another thing that Vili Vili told me, and it's a lot of guys will look at me and kind of scratch their heads because you know you see this big craze of like, oh, I need the schnauzer, I need like you know the low boots. Um, and Willie told me he's like, I never ever wanted to wear the low boots. He's like, as soon as I saw that these low boots were coming out, he was like, I knew that Germany was going to lose the war because like we didn't have the materials to, uh, you know, keep up with the Marsh default. And he's like, you know, I always looked at the, uh, Jack boots and said, you know, like that was a proud prestigious, you know, Germany being a very uh, military minded country and like thinking very highly of their military. He said, I never, ever wanted to wear Schnarchschuhe. And so, I have told myself I will never wear low boots because Willie said that. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, that's... I don't know. Uh, you know, with so many people wanting to wear them and praising how comfortable they are, but like ever since Willie said that, I just was like, okay, if, we, if they weren't good enough for Willie, they're not good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were actually able to make some personal connections uh, with some of these veterans that kind of endured beyond just being at the meeting. Um, were you guys able to to correspond with these people afterward? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, via email, via cards. Before you know, technology really uh, came into play. Uh, you know, Head Gebner um, 
was really close uh, with some of our older older members and we would always be sending correspondence to them and actually um, Bob got really good at sending their wives flowers for different holidays or if he had found out that you know someone in the family had passed and um, you know there, there was definitely a super strong bond there that kind of surpassed just seeing them once once a year at a Treffen um, and uh, you know Helmut uh, Ortlip lived in Vermont, so I know that he came to uh, Reading Air Show many times, and they, the guys would meet up with him outside of that. Um, I know he actually has a video on, on YouTube. Uh, if you look that up, it's pretty interesting, kind of discussing, you know, why the Germans are at the Reading Air Show. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was it was great. There definitely was a strong bond, and one of the coolest things, at least in my mind, was uh, one of the members that I met, his name was Alois Jung, and... Um, he was an 18-year-old, joined the military in 1943, ended up being a funker, uh, funker, and um, he actually has a very fascinating story about being captured. I don't know if we'll have time for that, but, you know, every time I spoke with him, he always would just almost talk about the war as an afterthought. You know, be like, oh, yeah, 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 because I would ask him a question, he'd answer it real fast, and then he would say, so, Will, um, I'm, a, I'm a teacher by trade. So he would say, Will, you know, how's teaching going? What are, th- what are things like with your children uh, in your school? You know, what, what are the views on this, that, and the other thing? And so although they were always willing to talk about, you know, World War II, it was almost like an afterthought. They were always just more concerned about, like, my well-being or, uh, you know, the individual's well-being. Um, but, yeah, there definitely was uh, a lot of great relationships built up, uh, you know, outside of just the Treffen. That's cool. Of course, all these people that we're talking about are, have since passed, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it's really sad. Um, I feel bad in a sense for people getting into reenacting now because they're they're not going to be able to have those kind of experiences, you know, or they, they're unlikely to be able to have those kinds of experiences. And um, 20 years ago when I got started in reenacting, I used to talk to veterans all the time. And that was part of the hobby for me. It was part of what I enjoyed about events, you know, was meeting these people and um, talking to them. And the feedback that I got from them was so valuable. And uh, the stories that they shared were so influential. And it's just so, I don't know, I mean, nothing lasts forever, right? Time marches on. And every day we get further away from, from World War II. Uh, but it's uh, it's just, it's kind of shocking to me. It, it doesn't feel like very long ago when I used to talk to a lot of World War II veterans and now, you know, I don't talk to any at all. And it's just, uh, I'm sure that's how it is for, for almost everybody. Still to come on the Reenactors Corner. Everyone's personal story is different. You know, I've talked to some veterans who would say, oh, you know, I didn't like really think twice about the regime or the politics of the day. It's just kind of like I was young, like I was still a boy, and I just kind of was like, well, this is, you know, this is what I got to do. I need to fight. And, you know, you'll read accounts or talk to veterans who say, you know, at the end of the year, end of the war, you know, we, we know it was lost, but we were just, you know, we need to stop the Russians from like getting to our homeland. Like that was never far from their mind was like their own family. Lassa, does your group have any contact with any uh, World War II veterans, whether German or uh, Norwegian or, or other World War II veterans? No, we don't. Not uh, not any active con- uh, contact. We're trying to contact some uh, some uh, survivors of the Ninth Panzer Division, but we have been unsuccess- unsuccessful in um, in contacting them. Uh, maybe because their address have been old, or maybe they've passed away. I don't know. Um, but when it comes to like, um, veterans from Norway, I mean, we, um, occasionally we meet some of them, um, and, uh, have a talk, but it's not like been anything active. Um, a funny thing is that, uh, before back in the days when there were more veterans is that, um, a lot of the veterans from the German military station in Norway actually went on holidays in Norway way up until like the 80s and 90s so you know you might have seen you might have had contact with old old german people at that time and uh but that was like before you were reenacting right or maybe yeah 
when you were a kid. I mean, I, I remember remember when I was a kid, uh, we did meet some old, um, old, uh, you know, like uh, RV tourists from Germany, and they were, and like the old man there would be a veteran, and he would show his family where he served during the war and stuff like that. That's that's wild. I, the first time I went to Germany was in 1999, and I met. German veterans uh, all over the place, it seemed. You know, I, I met a guy who had uh, served in the Waffen SS. I met him at a bus stop while we were waiting for a bus. You know, he just kind of spontaneously started talking about it. I mean, it was it was absurd how how, I don't know, commonplace it would be to have an interaction with someone who had served in World War II. Never mind, you know, I, sometimes I'd just be like on a bus and see mm-hmm. elderly people on the bus and think, you know, I know these people were alive during World War II. These people were adults during World War II, and I wonder what they did, you know. But, of course, you can't just – you couldn't just approach someone and say, hey, uh, I'm an American. What did you do in World War II, you know? <laughs> uh, but um, – even for years, I took a German class at a German club here in Massachusetts, and there were a bunch of German veterans who were members of the club. And, uh, you know, all those people have passed on now. And it's just this, I think, this great resource that we as reenactors had for so long and this great opportunity that we had to make connections with these people. You know, it, it still exists for now in, in a small scale, you know, but every with every day it the window gets, you know, closes just a little bit more. It's just really sad. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's interesting that you say that, uh, Chris. I don't know if you were, uh, you know, getting sweaty palms and your heart started pounding, but <laughs> when I was in Germany, I've been over a, few, a handful of times now. Uh, the first time, uh, you know, when I was there for the Treffen, I actually went for 10 days uh had never been to europe had never really traveled outside the country before um and it was nice because the first four days i actually went to the treffen so i was able to see guys from my unit meet with the veterans but then the last uh four or five days i was completely on my own and um i can even remember like sitting on trains and looking at these elderly people and being like oh man they probably served and maybe maybe I just was naive or, uh, you know, filled with bravado or something. But in my broken German, I would always say, hey, you know, I'm a history teacher. And then, like, that's how I would kind of, like, start broaching the subject with people because I was like, you know what? I'm never going to see these people again. I might as well give it a shot. You never know. And um, I can recall being on the train. We were going to um, New Schwanstein-Schloss. Uh, there in Bavaria, uh, King Ludwig's uh, castle. And I was on the train. I was looking at this elderly gentleman. I finally said, you know what? I'm going to say something. And it turns out that uh, he had been an ME-109 a, a pilot in the Luftwaffe. And so he, we started talking about his experiences. And it just was like, of all these places, like I'm literally in the middle of nowhere in Füssen, Germany. And, you know, I'm starting to talk to this guy. And uh, it was it was quite the experience. And to show a time when that backfired, I actually was in München in Munich and uh, had been at the Hofbrauhaus for quite a while and was walking toward the Feldherrenhall and saw several what I thought were elderly gentlemen. And so I said, hey, you know, did you did you serve, uh, you know, in the Second World War? And they all just started laughing because they were far too young. Um, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of nice. those things. I was like, if you don't try, you know, you're not going to know. And especially with them, you know, passing away so quickly. Um, and, uh, I don't know if either of you have heard of, uh, there's a place, uh, in New York, actually, just south of Albany called the, uh, Crystal Brook Mountain Bra House. And it's kind of way up in the Catskill Mountains. And there's a German club there, Chris, like you were just talking about. And back in the day, a lot of the city folk from New York City would go up there with their families to kind of like get away and vacation. And uh, we've been fortunate enough to have a couple of living history uh, public display events there. Uh, you know, kind of dog and pony battle show, but being able to set up our displays and our equipment and being able to talk and interact. And it's great because it's in a German club. So everyone's excited to have us there and there's dancing and uh, it's, it's almost like you're stepping back in time. Uh, I remember when I first came back from Bavaria, you know, you have this like Americanized idea of what Germany should look like. Oh, it's, you know, uh, sound of music. 
but I had been up in the north, so it was very industrialized. I didn't get that Bavarian feel. And coming back, I was like, wow, I feel more in Germany here than I did when I was over there. Um, but long story long, there was a lot of German veterans who still lived in the area. And they would attend these, uh, you know, they would go up there every weekend for dinner or dancing. And so we were able to meet veterans, veterans there. And it was cool because they would actually, like, sign our sold book uh and like tell us about their experiences in the war and uh so you just you just never know when you're kind of come across veterans and i say you know with them passing each and every day might as well roll the dice you never know what you're gonna learn (laughs) what did these guys that you that you met and interacted with i mean what was their perspective you know as elderly people at the end of their lives kind of looking back on World War Two, you know, obviously, uh, Germany lost, you know, mm-hmm. they sacrificed ultimately, you know, for a failed cause, uh, not only a failed cause, but one that is kind of vilified and regarded in the modern worldview as as evil. Um, you know, what, what do you think they're, I mean, I guess everybody's different, but what, what was your sense of kind of what they, what they thought about it with the perspective of time? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that everyone's personal story is different. You know, I've talked to some veterans who would say, oh, you know, I didn't even, like, really think twice about the regime or the politics of the day. It's just kind of like I was young, like I was still a boy, and I just kind of was like, well, this is, you know, this is what I got to do. I need to fight for my, uh, you know, for Germany, essentially. And, you know, you'll read accounts or talk to veterans who say, you know, at the end of the year, end of the war, you know, we, we know it was lost, but we were just – trying to continue fighting like that's what kept us going each and every day was that you know i need to stop especially a lot of guys on the eastern front you know we need to stop the russians from like getting to our homeland like that was never far from their mind was like their own family um so it's you know obviously there's a little bit of like a taboo with doing you know world war ii german reenacting and um you know you never are sure how a reenactor or a veteran, excuse me, is going to handle like, oh, you, you, this is what you're doing. And, um, you know, I got to say they were absolutely ecstatic about, you know, us keeping what what they did and their sacrifice alive. And, uh, you know, that that knowledge that we're still educating people on that time time period is is uh, really important to them. And, uh, you know, especially with German veterans, you kind of you kind of have to sort of almost put them in the same category as our U.S. veterans uh, returning from Vietnam. You know, it kind of wasn't the greatest experience for them. And so after the war in Germany, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you you helped cause this. Like the reason why our cities are in ruins and we're under occupation is because of this. You know, there wasn't really like a thank, thank you for your sacrifice, or like a hero's welcome or anything. And, uh, you know, if you go over to Germany, it's, you know, it's really uh, – uh, you know, you don't see too many like billboards in major cities like talking about like, oh, here, this is what the German army did. It's more of like, you know, what was us? This is what what we caused. You know, it's almost it's almost like a saddening thing because there isn't much of a, a respect for the veterans and their service, you know, and their sacrifice, um, because I think there's such a negative connotation to it, uh, you know, just with the way that things things happen there in Germany. Um there's no like thank you for his service in Germany. Um, uh, this is very uncommon in all of um, in all of Europe. It's not just uh, Germany. You, you see that a lot in Norway. Yeah, there's as well. there's none of it. It's it's like that in all in. Hmm. I don't want to say all European countries, but most of them. That's actually one of the reasons that I joined, uh, because and I'm you. If you go to our, our units website, you'll see and hear a radio snippet on there that kind of talks about it. But at the very first Treffen in 1999, uh, the president of the uh, Gemeinschaft, the uh, you know the Bundeswehr uh, Veterans Association for the GD, he stepped up there and he said, you know, isn't it absolutely ironic that the sons of our former enemies uh, come to honor us? And our own sons of our own country don't do that. Um, and that was like really poignant to me that, you know, he basically was saying, you know, it took the, the sons and the grandsons of our enemies that we fought against to like show us a little bit of interest and respect and like honor the sacrifice that we made because like our own countrymen won't do that. And for me, like that was, that was the moment when I heard that radio snippet 
on GD's website that I was like, I have to join this unit. Like that, and that kind of was what steered me down the path to going to my first Treffen. Cause like two years later, I was like, if I have an opportunity to meet these guys, I'm going. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful talking to those guys, you know, before they pass and just the amount of respect that they have for what it is that we do and trying to like, keep their memory alive. Uh, you know, and it, it's very sobering too. You know, Bob told me this great story, um, about how he was standing there, uh, at the Treffen and, uh, Head Gerbner came up to him and, uh, I believe it was, yeah, Helmut Ortlip. Uh, and they were staying there and, and, you know, had looked at Helmut and said, you know, the next time I will see you, he like pointed up in the sky and just saying like, you know, the next time I'll see you is, you know, I'll be up in, up in heaven. And, uh, you know, the bond that they still had after all of these years and what they went through was just so strong. And every time we put on, you know, our Feldbluza and, you know, have that almost strife from the Deutschland Cup title, like, because we have this bond with the veterans, that's what we're able to think about. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to run out and play, shoot them up, or, oh, look at me in my German uniform. Like, I look so good. It's it's a lot more, a lot more than that. You know, when you put it on, it's, you stand taller, your chest gets a little bit bigger. And, you know, for those guys who've gone to the Treffen, uh, you know, it, mean, it means infinitely more, I feel like, having that bond with these guys. Did you ever get any negative reactions from the veterans? I mean, like, in general? Uh, no, actually, um, I can honestly say that we didn't, you know, I think that at the very beginning there was kind of that like standoffishness that we talked about sort of, you know, eh, what are you know, what are these guys all about? What are they doing here? You know, scratching their heads kind of doing, I, they do what, but I, I've never experienced or heard any, uh, negative feedback from the veterans or from, you know, guys who've been attending Treffins longer than I, uh, it's always kind of been that positive mutual respect. That's really cool. So what's the status now? I mean, uh, is is the Treffen attendance now, you know, in the past? Are these things going to continue on any level? Or, um, you know, are you guys still in contact with uh, anybody that, that's left over there, the one guy that, that still makes the meetings or anything like that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the few guys who are still alive, you know, we try and send them emails every once in a while. Uh, you know, a lot of them are in homes now. Um, but that's one of the great things about being able to say that we've been going since 1999 is that, uh, you know, we made bonds not only with the veterans, but with their families. And uh, so, you know, we kind of keep that alive through them. I believe it was, uh, you know, pre-COVID, so two or three years ago, um, they did have a Treffen. I think one guy went. Uh, we have a really great uh, friendship with... Uh, some of our Gostoichland friends in the United Kingdom. Uh, I believe you've, have, you've had Will Watson here on the show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know that a handful of them went over, and I think one or two of our members went over. So it, it is still happening. Uh, it's I'm not sure what it's going to look like for the future in terms of like their uh, you know sons and daughters attending to like, keep their memories alive. Um, I know that we're hopeful it'll it'll continue to uh, you know keep that going. Uh, they actually had a beautiful uh, garden there uh, with the different stones from the Gostoshon division. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like an honor memorial, which just because of the, the times, unfortunately, the Bundeswehr is unfortunately taken down. Um, and they took the stones and put them in the, in the museum. But it's, it was kind of saddening to see that, that kind of erased. Um, so, you know, we're just crossing our fingers, hoping that uh, the Treffens will continue to continue to move on. And we've made great friendships with the likes of uh, Michael Dura, who's a member of the uh, uh, basically the German World War II Soldiers Grave Association. And so if I'm ever looking up something on a unit or trying to track down a soldier, we'll reach out to my Michael and um, you know, even even with the veterans passing, there's been a lot of great ties made that. Uh, you know, I'm hoping we'll continue to improve our hobby and what it is that we do. Do you feel that, you know, your reenactment group in some way has some role in, in keeping the legacy alive of this wartime unit and its and its post-war veterans organization? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, without a doubt. Uh, many years ago, the president of the, the uh 
you know, the Großdeutschland Gemeinschaft had told Bob Lawrence, he said, Bob, you are no longer invited to our Treffen. And Bob was kind of like taken aback. Oh, oh, sorry, did we offend you in some way? And he said, no, it's because you're expected to come every single year. And so, you know, we want to keep that legacy alive. And they actually honored us by giving us the Großdeutschland uh, Veterans Fauna, the flag. And, uh, you know, we'll bring it out to some of our public displays, like the Conneaut event, uh, the Bra House event that I was talking about earlier, Reading Air Show. Um, so you'll see it waving green. I have, if you look at me up on Facebook, I probably have some pictures of it on there. But, uh, you know, that's the one thing that sometimes causes me sleepless nights because I'm like, is the veteran's flag okay? Like it's nothing's happening to it because there's, there's that bond through that flag to those guys and just the uh, awesome opportunity for them to bestow that to us. It was, it was really humbling and really, really honoring. And uh, you know, just each day when we're out there training or sharing these stories or mentioning these little anecdotes that these guys would tell us about what it was like for them during the war, uh, you know, it's, it's now, it's now our duty to carry that on. So I would definitely say it's like, it's, it's definitely an immense thing that we are attempting to do is to like keep that tradition going. That's a great honor that they bestowed upon you. That's really nice. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, Bob Lawrence. Uh, he was the former, you know, commander. He was a longtime commander mm-hmm. of your unit. He's he's stepped back now, right? He's not doesn't really take an active role anymore. Yeah, he's um, you know, just as as you say, like time marches on with all of us, family, life, school, jobs, work, um, health issues flare up, and so uh, you know, Bob. Bob did an amazing job. He's still always there at the forefront in terms of giving us advice and guiding us as our journey continues. You know, like I said, we've been doing this for 46 years and hopefully doing it for another another 46. But, um, you know, he's he's always there in the fold, keeping an eye on us. You know, we're we're his boys to him and making sure that we're doing it right. And, uh, you know, he's he's amazing because he's definitely given a kind of hands-off approach in terms of letting the new leadership handle things. And, uh, you know, he'll make it out to our awards ceremonies. And when Gap was there, he would always come or even uh, Old Bedford Village and, uh, you know, for kind of our years at year's end things. But uh, even though he's kind of in the background, you know, he's been promoted to mayor and he's he's always our father figure and we're looking up to him. So. Uh, never far from our minds, and he's never far from the action. Well, that's good to hear. You, you mentioned a couple of event sites where, unfortunately, we don't have events anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, it seems like uh, just change is constant in reenacting, and uh, it's cool that your group has been able to to stick around for decades. You know, despite losing events, despite you know changes in who's who's running it over time the leadership changes in the membership what what's the status of your group now in this post covid era um do you guys you know numbers wise do you think that you're going to be fielding around as many people as as before the pandemic or maybe more or less yeah you know that's that's something i've i've always asked myself is you know what's it going to be like moving forward there was a time where I thought, oh, man, we're going to really be struggling with recruits this year because, you know, we uh, had a limited capacity for Reading this year. We didn't attend Reading last year, obviously, um, which is normally kind of our, our big, big recruitment um, weekend. But I don't know if it's because people were sitting at home twiddling their thumbs because of COVID or just thinking like, well, now if there's ever a time I'm going to get into living history, and now now is a good time since I've got time to to research things. But our recruitment actually has astronomically risen. Um, you know, I'm the recruiting officer, so I've been extremely busy with that. Uh, I think that you might see events themselves change in terms of just uh, you know, some of the larger ones with, uh, you know, the the way the political climate and the way things are going, I think you might see things stay away from more public events to smaller living history events, uh, tacticals, full immersion things. You know, who's got a big chunk of property where we can go and have a weekend or do some more training events? Uh, but, uh, you know, last I knew, our on-paper numbers were uh, almost 115 
Uh, and usually we'll have 35 to 40 guys attend most of our events at any given time, which is very sizable. So, um, you know, I think that the passion for history is alive and well, and I think that we'll continue to grow and do what we do and strive to get better, and we'll see what the future holds. Those numbers are uh, really encouraging. That's great. I wish my unit to pull those numbers. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is. And, you know, I, I probably could talk a whole episode about why why I think that is, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm just excited for the future, and I just think about the veterans that we've met and, you know, the hobby that we do and, I know that at one of the Treffins, Bob was sitting there, and this gentleman came and tapped him on the shoulder and uh, was said, uh, I hear you're Bob Lawrence, like, I'm Eberhard Wackenegel. And he was the commander of 7th Company Infantry uh, Regiment Coast Deutschland. So to have the ability, which at the time, is that was what Bob's position was. So being able to go to Treffen and meet the person who physically and actually did what it is that you attempt to do and portray as your impression is unbelievable. Um, obviously, Bob used a different name, but to be able to say that is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, sure. Um, what does your reenactment schedule look like for the rest of the year for you guys? I know that with Conneaut happening, we're going to be uh, sending a contingency to that, which is, uh, you know, that third week in August, I do believe. Um we have a couple events in September. Uh, there's going to be the Odessa event, which is always uh, a fantastic time in September. And at the end, we are hosting an event, uh, which we're working out now uh, in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. So we're going to be doing that. And then uh, uh, we're hoping to get something for November. We're actually doing an event in October at the Bra House. So if you're in the area, I highly recommend attending that. But, um, you know, with COVID, it's been a, a difficult last year or so, but things are slowly getting back on track. Cool. So if somebody wants to learn more about your group, um, like what's your website? How can they get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's just www.grossdeutschland.com. Uh, you might want to type in USA afterwards just so that it goes goes to our site. Yeah, we'll put a direct link in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty easy to find. We're always trying to keep it up to date. And, uh, uh, you know, we're always looking forward to talking to guys. So Cool. Um, now, Lasse, uh, uh, you and I probably have a lot to talk about, too. Um, I know that you said that um, you guys have an event coming up, uh, but we're, we're going to run out of time for this episode. So uh, probably we should talk about that for the Patreon episode, the, for the Patreon supporters for this month. Absolutely. The patrons can tune in to hear um, all about our, I was going to say personal life, but that's wrong, but our um, day-to-day reenactment stuff. Yeah, I'll let the, uh, the you're going to have to, people are going to have to listen to the Patreon episode if they want to hear about how it went uh, for me trying to retrieve these uh, 11 typewriters from New Hampshire today. <laughs> and don't forget, if you enjoy all of this stuff, then please sign on to Patreon and support us. It really does help to keep this show on the road and like it will only cost you like a few bucks every month. And Chris, myself and Mike behind the scenes really do appreciate all of your support. It's one of them events that you can't really describe it, you sort of have to be there because it just felt so much like you were actually in Normandy. I think that female reenacting is still sort of in its embryonic stage. But I do think that there is room to grow. A lot of reenactors probably had like some sort of burnout maybe from like years past. It sucks, but it was a pretty good pause for everyone to kind of like regroup and like kind of like a really nice refresh to get back out there. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. All right. Well, look, Will, it's been really awesome chatting with you. Uh, I'm really glad we had this opportunity, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again another time. Lassa, it's been great talking to you. Um, to everybody out there supporting us on Patreon, thank you very much. And uh, I guess to everybody out there, to, to Will and Lassa and everybody, I will see you in the field. Absolutely. Thank you for coming here, Will. Um, I'll see you in the field. See you in the field. Before we go, you may want to check out Fehler Kopf over at german-worldwar2.com. That is german-ww2.com. 
where they sell lots of pocket litter and a lot of cool paperwork stuff. And you can get 7% off off of your next purchase there by using the discount code PODCAST2020, that is PODCAST2020, at checkout. Once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retroman, for editing this podcast. Thanks, Mike. 